back in 1988, Tishomingo High School in Mississippi was playing its rival Faulkner. Tishomingo had an 18 to 16 lead with seven seconds left in the game. They were 40 yards away from the end zone. And so most teams at that point would simply have taken a knee and let the clock run out and win the game. But Tishomingo had a problem. They were in a three-way tie to get into the 1A Mississippi High School playoffs. And if they only won the game by two points, their season would be over. They would not advance to the playoffs. They had to win by at least four points over Faulkner. And so Coach Dave Herbert didn't think that they had enough firepower uh, for a Hail Mary to get the ball into the end zone. So he called a play that started a minor rebellion. The play he sent in was to run the ball 60 yards in the opposite direction into the end zone, take a knee, and essentially give the other team a two-point safety. It would tie the game. Then they could go into overtime and have a chance to win by more than four points to, dis- to secure their spot in the playoffs. He sent the play into the quarterback and the team uh, looked from the sideline in absolute shock. They thought that he was crazy. In fact, they argued in the huddle about Coach Dave's sanity. But as time was winding down to call the play, they broke the huddle and ran the play. The quarterback pitched the ball to Shane Hill, their running back, and he turned and ran in the opposite direction, crossed the goal line, took a knee, and scored a safety for the other team. The players on Faulkner's team, as well as everyone in the stands, were stunned. The clock ran out. The game was tied. So they went into overtime, and in overtime, Tishomingo won and got into the playoffs. Now, interestingly enough, if Faulkner had just tackled him on that run in the wrong direction, they would have gone to the playoffs instead of Tishomingo. But, by the way, Shane Hill had minus 29 yards for that game. He had negative yardage. For that game. Now, it wasn't a normal way to solve the problem, but it worked and it paid off for the team. They did something weird, and as a result, they won. We've been in this series called Weird because normal isn't working. And we've been looking at the teaching of Jesus and seeing how he calls us to rise above normal, to be different, to be weird for him. What we have said is, if you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. But if you want what few people have, do what few people do. And today we're going to talk about one of the most normal things in our life today. Worry is normal. Worry is very, very Normal, And I'm guessing all of us have spent some time, probably this week, maybe just yesterday or earlier today, worrying about something. We worry about money, about weather, about crime, about our country, about whether our babies will ever start talking, and then about whether our teens will ever stop talking. 
And we worry about how we look and how we smell and whether people will listen to the message. Okay, maybe that one's just me that worries about that. Worry has become a huge part of normal life. About nine years ago, we did a series here at the church called Walking Out of Worry, and we asked our people to tell us what they worried the most about. And um, we did a little survey, and I'm guessing that things haven't changed much since then. According to that survey, the top three things that we worry about are our kids, our finances, and our future. Our kids, our finances, and our future. And a few of those areas overlap, don't they? I mean, some of our concerns for our kids relate to concerns about the future and maybe about finances also. And those of us looking at retirement in 10 to 15 years can tell you that our finances and our future are linked in what we worry about. And today, we want to see what Jesus says about worry in Matthew chapter 6 during what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I will tell you right now that it's going to sound weird. What he says is going to sound weird because worry is normal. But remember, normal is broken. Normal isn't working. And we don't want to be normal we want to be different. We want to be weird. Jesus doesn't say much in the passage about our worries for our kids. I'll touch on that just a little bit, but we're going to be doing a parenting series around Mother's Day or Father's Day so we can talk more about it there. Jesus uh, seems in this passage to identify some areas where we tend to worry, and I want to walk through some of them, and I will compare normal people to weird people as we try to be weird in this area of worry. First, the passage talks about how we are always worrying about what we own. We're worrying about what we own. When it comes to worry, what about when it comes to worrying about what we own, the teaching of Jesus seems to say normal people store treasures on earth. Normal people store treasures on earth. Now, Jesus lived in a time when uh, they really didn't own as much as we own. People just didn't own very much at all. In fact, poor people probably carried around with them almost everything that they owned on a daily basis. They probably only had one set of clothing. Maybe at home they might have had a rolled up mat. They probably used their clothing as their blanket. They might have had a pot or a pan and they may have had some tools for work, but those would have been with them. But in the area where Jesus was teaching, there was some good things going on in the economy. There were some cities and people were gaining more. Some of the people had actually bought a second set of clothing and some of them had added on to their house. And so now their house was two rooms instead of just one small room and maybe they had bought a bigger and a better fishing boat maybe they had uh, made some simple furniture for their house and when you compare our culture to the culture of Jesus his words become even stronger to people with almost nothing Jesus said don't store treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust will destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them when our treasure is here on earth, it's temporary. 
It's temporary. Moths eat the best of clothes and rust destroys the nicest cars. And the more things that we have here on earth, the more that we have to work, the more that we have to take care of things or insure things or lock it up so that no one would steal it or uh, shine it up so that it looks good. And the normal attitude says that we should store more things. We should work for more things. And it's really not a smart plan. It's really not a smart plan. I mean, when you're thinking about it, you realize that at best, you will have your stuff for 70 to 100 years, and then somebody else will have it. And most of the stuff we have, we don't even plan on having that long. I mean, most of the stuff we have, we know after five years, 10 years, maybe 20, it's going to break or wear out or be out of date so jesus says don't be normal jesus says it's stupid to stockpile things here on earth he said instead we need to be weird and weird people put their treasure where they want their heart to be weird people put their treasure where they want their heart to be look at what jesus says but store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. He says, instead of stockpiling things here on earth, we need to stockpile treasures in heaven. Now, how in the world do you do that? I mean, we all know that you can't take it with you. And the truth is you can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. You see, the only way of stockpiling treasures in heaven is to invest in people who are going to go to heaven. The only way is to invest in people who are going to go to heaven. And some of us sold prized possessions or delayed buying some things or uh, investing in retirement to make it possible for us to purchase and renovate this building and some are still doing that as we seek to continue to provide funds to help people who are far from God both here and around the world find forgiveness and salvation through Christ and we uh, store up treasures in heaven when we give and invest in what God is doing but that last line is the one I want to focus on Jesus says your heart will be where your treasure is now, that has always seemed a little backwards to me. It's different than what we normally say. He says, your heart will be where your treasure is. We always say, I'm going to put my money where my heart is. My treasure is going to be where my heart is. I mean, if I love music, I pay for concerts. And if I love to travel, I pay for trips or for RVs. And uh, if I love sports, I pay for tickets and cable packages. And if I love a nice house, then I pay a big mortgage. And we say where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. We put our treasures where our heart already is. But that's not what Jesus says. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where your money is, your heart's going to follow. So if my money is in a nice car, then my heart's going to follow. 
if I put my money in a nice mountain cabin, then my heart will follow where my money goes. If I put my money into my hobby, then my heart will follow there. And so here's what weird people do. Weird people figure out where they want their heart to end up and they invest their treasures there. Weird people figure out where they want their heart to be and they put their treasures there. My, my heart is with my kids. And so when my kids were younger, we drove really old and ugly, broken down and paid for cars. Because I never wanted to look my little girls in the eye and say, sorry, you can't go to college because I've been driving your education. I just didn't want to do that. And my heart is with Jesus. And so after years of having it as a goal, the largest amount in our budget every month isn't our house payment. It's what we give to impact. Because Jesus has my heart. So here's the deal. Wherever you're spending your money, that's where your heart is. That's what Jesus said. Jesus promised that would be the case. If you want to know what has a hold of your heart right now, look at what's the biggest thing that you're spending money on, where your treasures are going, because that's where your heart will be. So if I want my heart to belong to Jesus, I have to make sure that my finances show that he's a significant part of my heart. Jesus says we can have our treasures here on earth like normal people, or we can have our treasures in heaven like weird people. And ironically, Jesus will teach us that when our treasures are in heaven instead of here on earth, we worry less. We will worry Less. Now, some of you are pushing back on this in your mind, and uh, you're uncomfortable with what I've said. If you are, you may need to hear what Jesus says about another worry. It's worrying about how we live. It's worrying about how we live. Look at what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. The person will hate one master and love the other, or will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve both God and and worldly riches. Now, when it comes to figuring out how we're going to live, normal people are trying to have it both ways. Normal people are trying to have it both ways. Normal Christians today are trying to have the best and succeed financially while also serving Jesus. And as Pastor Bill told us a couple of weeks ago, many are going into debt to pay for that. In fact, many don't even can seem to consider their house payment or their car payment as real debt. Now, according to scripture, here's a very simple thing about, sin, uh, about debt, okay? Debt is not sin, according to scripture. It's just stupid. Okay? Scripture never says that debt is a sin. It's just stupid. And... Debt can be okay. I mean, when we have a plan to pay it off and what we borrow on is an appreciating asset and uh, we can make the payments, it's okay. That means most mortgages are probably okay. But can we be honest? Sometimes even debt that we thought was smart has become a burden to us. 
Even debt that we thought was smart has become a burden to us. Sometimes people buy houses and they have to cut back on what they do for their kids. You know, vacations or uh, special times. Or they have to cut back on what they give because they have that payment to make. And it seems that it's always our giving to God that might suffer some. Because we think, well, he'll understand. But the passage is clear. We can't serve two masters. We can't serve both God and money. But normal people, normal people try to have it both ways. They just try to have it both ways. Now, weird people serve only Jesus. Weird people serve only Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that weird people never buy houses or cars. And it doesn't even mean that they never take out a loan to do it. It just means they consider what Jesus would say. They consider his opinion on that. They use his principles as they make those choices. That's what our leaders did when they uh, made the decision to borrow money to buy and renovate this building. We prayed and we considered what God was leading us to do. We thought, uh, we thought it through and uh, we thought what we would do and how it would serve Jesus. And 100% of our leaders believed and believe that it was where God was leading us. But honestly, can I tell you that now it's part of one of my most consistent worries it's one of the most consistent worries I have. I worry about our church finances and paying for this debt while also doing other ministry that God is calling us to do. And I want to pay off this debt early. I want to pay it off quickly. And we could do that if all our members and regular attenders were giving as Scripture teaches. In fact, a conservative estimate of what would happen if all of our people gave the 10% or tithe uh, is that our offerings would go up $16,000 per week. Per week. Not month, per week. And if that happened, we could pay this mortgage off far, far more quickly and ahead of schedule. But you know what? I need to work on my worry too. I need to worry, work on worrying in this area because since we're serving only Jesus, since we're following his plan, I can trust that he will supply our needs. I can trust that he, can, that he will supply our needs. And that's true in your personal life too. That's true in your personal life too. When you decide to serve only Jesus, when you decide to structure your life and your finances and your future and your schedule to honor and obey him, he will provide what you need and he will take care of you. Normal people try to have it both ways. But weird people who claim to follow Jesus serve only Jesus. They serve only Jesus. Now, by now, some of you are getting very practical in your thoughts. You're thinking, Pastor, if I did those things that you're talking about, we would be in big trouble financially. There's just no way that we could do that. In other words, some of us are sitting here worrying about what we need. We're worrying about what we need and the primary part of Jesus's teaching on worry seems to center on this look at what he says it's a long passage let me read it to you so I tell you don't worry about the food or drink that you need to live or about the clothes that you need for your body life is more than food and the body is more than clothes look at the birds in the air they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns but your heavenly father feeds them 
and you know that you are worth much more than the birds. You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. And why do you worry about clothes? Look at how the lilies in the field grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves. But I tell you that even Solomon with his riches was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass in the field which is alive today but tomorrow is thrown into the fire. So you can be even more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your Father in heaven knows you need them. Jesus nails the source of our worry. He nails what we worry about. I mean, we worry about the daily necessities. Food and shelter and clothing and high-speed internet and other necessities. But then Jesus points something interesting out. Plants don't worry. And animals don't worry. Now before we moved here, Jill and I had a little dog. His name was Benji. He was my friend. He would cuddle up to me at night while I was watching TV. And uh, he, he was a great friend. And um, we loved Benji. Well, I did. Someone else, not so much. But she's just not an animal person. Don't blame her. Don't, don't hate, Okay. But I love Benji, but you know what? I never once remember coming home and finding Benji pacing the floor, worried about whether or not I'd gotten in an accident while driving home. I never once found Benji pacing the floor with anxiety over whether I had abandoned him or whether or not we would feed him that day because only people seem to worry. Only people seem to worry. And normal people constantly worry about life and their needs. Normal people constantly worry about life and their own needs. And look at what Jesus says. He says, worrying doesn't do any good. It doesn't help the situation at all. It just takes up time and energy. Jesus said, you can't add even one moment to your day, to your life, by worrying. It's just a waste of time. Worry won't make you live longer. In fact, studies show that people who worry die faster and earlier than people who don't worry. Worry is worthless. It cannot change your path or your past. It won't change your future. It can only ruin your present. It can't change your past and it won't change your future. It'll just ruin today. And many studies have been done on worry. According to research on worry, 40% of the things we worry about never happen. 40% of the things that we worry about just never happen. 30% of what we worry about are concerns of the past and therefore we can't go back and change them. 12% of what we worry about are needless health concerns, basically health issues that are not as serious as we worry that they will be. 10% of what we worry about are insignificant and petty issues that aren't worth worrying about anyway. 8% of what we worry about are actually legitimate concerns. 8%, 92% of what we worry about 
isn't worth worrying about. The study concludes, if you are a worrier, only one minute out of 12 that you spend worrying will be worry over a legitimate concern. The rest is just time wasted. So let's move past normal. Let's learn what weird people do. Weird people trust God to take care of them. Weird people trust God to take care of them. The passage is pretty clear. It says when we worry, we're failing to trust God. When we worry, we're failing to trust God. And specifically, we are failing to trust God that he will take care of us. We're failing to trust that God will take care of us. The right attitude, according to Jesus, is to realize we are much more valuable to God than the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. And he takes care of them, so he will take care of us too. And when we worry, we just expect the worst in life. Worry tends to make us expect the absolute worst thing to happen. And we think if something can possibly go wrong, it will. And worry says, I doubt God. It really does say my assumption about God is that he will not take care of me. That's what worry says. He won't take care of my needs. And we've just gotten very used to worrying. We worry about having enough money to make ends meet. We worry about our kids doing well in school. We worry not that we won't have clothes to wear, but that people will think that the clothes we wear are out of style. We worry about people not caring about us, and then we worry that they will care so much about us that they're talking about us behind our back. We worry that if we don't talk about what we're worried about, the problem will never get solved. But if we do talk about what we're worried about, we worry that people will think we worry too much. Worrying shows my need to grow spiritually because worrying says I doubt God. But not worrying means that I know God will take care of me, that I trust him to take care of me. Now, I was blessed with a great childhood. I had a wonderful upbringing, and when growing up, never once did I worry that my parents didn't have money to buy me food. Some of you didn't have that kind of childhood, I understand that, but not once as a child did I ever worry that my parents didn't have enough money to feed me. Not once did I uh, worry that my parents might not have enough money to buy me clothes. I knew that my parents would take care of me, that they would take care of that. And when I became a father, I wanted my kids to trust the same thing about me. I wanted them to know that I was there for them, that they could trust that I would provide for them, that I would protect them, that I would feed them, that I would clothe them. I never wanted them to worry about those things. And God is our father. He's our father and he wants us to trust him. He knows what we need even before we ask. And he's not particularly going to give us everything we think we need, but he is going to provide our needs. He can be trusted to take care of us. He can be trusted to take care of us. Let's look at one more thing that Jesus says about worry. It's a real key. He talks to us about worrying about our priorities worrying about our priorities and there are so many things that seem to be huge priorities to us today so many things that the world around us almost screams at us have to be big priorities in our life 
I mean, it's really important that we make sure that our kids are socializing well, to make sure that they are enjoying life, that they are learning skills, to make sure that we're preparing for retirement that, and moving forward in our career and being involved in the right causes and being good spouses and parents and children and citizens. There are just so many priorities. And we begin to worry about whether we're doing it right or whether we're doing enough. And Jesus says our worry gets better when we make sure that our priorities are right. And he seems to say that the solution to this is far simpler than we would have guessed it was. That the solution to all of this talk about priorities is really rather simple. Look at what he says. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Pretty simple. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. So don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That last part of the verse makes so much sense. Worrying about tomorrow keeps us from dealing with the problems of today. And today has plenty of problems for me to deal with. I mean, let me just ask you, is there anybody in the room who doesn't have enough problems today? Anybody here saying, you know what, I really don't have enough problems? Because if you don't have enough problems, there's somebody in this room who is ready to give you some of theirs. But I'm kind of convinced that Jesus knew what he was talking about and that he's absolutely right. All of us have enough trouble for today. Now, it's no surprise that normal people will put themselves first. Normal people will put themselves first. Oh, putting yourself first might not be what you think it is. It might not seem like you're super self-absorbed and that it's all about you. I mean, it can take the form of some really good things. For example, it can take the form of putting your kids first. Because, I mean, being a good parent is really important to you. And sometimes being a good parent is important to us. So we try to be a, put our kids first, which really is trying to put who we are first and it ends up meaning you put your kids activities first or paying the bills first or excelling in your job first because all of those things help you to achieve the goal of being a good parent or at least you think it does but Jesus had a different idea he says if you want to get the results that normal people get keep doing that keep doing what you're doing but if you want to rise above worry, if you want to really gain peace, if you really want hope in your life, be weird. And weird people put God first. Weird people put God first. Now what does it mean to put God first and to put what he wants first? That's what the passage says. What does that mean? Well, it means that his priorities become more important than my priorities that his agenda his schedule is primary and mine is secondary it means I use my time and my talents and my money to do what he wants instead of what I want hear me clearly putting him first means so much more than showing up for a service every week it means so much more than giving 10% of your income in the offering. It means transforming my life to be 100% sold out for Jesus. It means that I'm all in for him. 
Basically, it means that I will trust him to do it his way instead of my way. I will trust him to do it his way instead of my way. I will assume that he knows better than me. That he knows better than me. It means even when I'm uncomfortable, I will do things his way. Even when it costs me time that I don't think I have despair, I will do it his way. Or when it costs me money, I just don't see how I can afford to give, I will do it his way. I trust him enough to do what he wants me to do. Here's the bottom line. The real solution to worry is radical trust in God. The real solution for worry is radical trust in God because the real cause of worry is that I'm failing to trust God. The real solution for worry is radical trust in God because the cause of worry is I'm failing to trust God. So that's the difference between normal people and weird people in this area of worry. Weird people have figured out how to trust God, how to really trust Him, to trust Him enough to not just mouth the words, but to take actions in their lives that demonstrate their trust for Him. And that's not easy. I'm still working on that too. But here's what radical trust does. Radical trust says, I'm going to trust God to care for my kids because I'm going to trust that God loves my kids even more than I do. I'm going to trust God to care for my kids because God loves them even more than I do. And uh, so I'm going to put Jesus first in their lives by making sure they get connected with Jesus to make sure that that's a high priority in their life. I'm going to make sure that they're in church and impact kids and pack each and every week. Radical Trust says, I'm going to trust God to take care of my finances by putting him first there. I'm giving that 10% before I begin to pay my bills. And I challenge you to do that. I challenge you, before you pay anything else, to give to God what you should be giving to God. And, I, and if you will do that, you will be blessed in ways that you have never imagined. That's not me promising that. That's God promising that. That's his promise. Radical Trust says, I'm, I'm going to put God first the next time I start to worry by saying, God, I am deciding to trust you. I'm deciding to follow you fully in this area. Show me how to trust you instead of worrying. I want to close by looking at one more passage of scripture. It's a passage you've probably read before. It's in Proverbs chapter 3. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Now stop right there a minute because that's often where we stop when we're quoting this passage or teaching this passage, it's a great passage. But the rest of the passage helps us to know both how to trust the Lord with all our heart and some of the benefits from doing it. So let's read on. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Again, he's basically saying, trust me enough to do it my way. Trust me enough 
to do it my way. He says, instead of thinking you know better, turn away from evil and you will find healing and you will find strength. Instead of holding back from giving because you don't think that you have enough to give, honor him with the first and best part of your pay and he will fill your barns. Now that's the irony on giving, by the way. The consistent promise of scripture is when we trust God by giving to him first, he will provide everything that we need and overflow our lives with blessings. That's his promise. So people who say, you know, I'll give when I can afford to do that will never be able to afford to do that. You'll never be able to afford to because God is waiting. Hear me clearly. Listen. He's not waiting for you to give. He's waiting for you to trust him. He's waiting for you to trust him enough to believe that he will take care of you. To believe that he knows what's best for you. So maybe your simple prayer today is, God, I'm tired of worrying about it. I'm tired of handling this my way and all by myself. Right now, I will trust you and I'm going to do it your way. Maybe that's the simple prayer that helps us to be weird in this area of worry. Let's pray together. Father, in this room, there are many people who are worried. They're concerned about people in their lives or finances or other issues in their life. And Father, I just pray that you will help each one of us to take a step towards radical trust in you. That we will understand that you will take care of us, that you love us. That we will trust you enough to do things your way. Father, I pray that you will give us all the strength to follow you. To find in you the caring and loving Father who provides what we need. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may need to talk to somebody today about what's going on in your spiritual life. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. You can step back to Engage Impact after the service is done. We have the booth back there where you can have someone pray with you. Maybe you need to get engaged in a group. Maybe you're ready to jump into a ministry. You can just step back there and someone there will help you to, with all of those needs. Maybe you've been here just a few weeks and, or maybe this is your first time and you want to know more about who we are as a church and you want to know more about what drives us here. Pastor Seth will be up here in front of the stage following the service and um, he's going to be there for what we call impact in five. In five minutes or less he's going to tell you who we are, what we're passionate about. He's going to answer your questions and he's going to invite you to take a tour of the facility if you want to do that and he's got an awesome gift for you if you haven't already received one of our awesome gifts and so I encourage you to go there. But right now it's time for our offering.
And if you're new here, you might be wondering why we're clapping for the offering. We celebrate giving here because we think it's awesome that God lets us partner with him in what he's doing in this community. And uh, we just think that is a great thing. And uh, I watch sometimes when we have offering at the end of the service like this, some of you begin to check out. Some of you are picking up your uh, jackets and your purses and you're getting ready to leave. Please don't check out yet. Here's why. Right now... Right this minute, in this part of worship, is a time when you can take a step of trust. This offering time can be a time for you to say, God, I mean it. I'm going to trust you by giving what I should give right now, even though I just don't know how that's going to work out in my finances. Now, maybe you give through our app or... Uh, through the kiosk or online, about 60% of us do that. About 60% of us have already given by the time we get into this room, and that's a great thing. But even that 60% may need to say, was that a step of faith, a step that says, I trust God? You can give as the bag goes by. You can give at the kiosks or the boxes at the back. But make this a step of faith, a step of trust, and watch what God does in your life. I invite you to do that. And as your pastor, let me use a scripture uh, to make you the same promise that Paul made to a church that gave a special offering to God's work. Here's what he says. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus.